Let's open up our Bible to the book of Matthew chapter number 6. Let's go to Matthew chapter number 6 as we dive into the word this morning. God is so good. He has a word for us, a word that is going to absolutely bring clarity to our thinking. How many know that we need clarity in our thinking? Of course we do. Amen. We need clarity in our thinking. And so the word of God does that. Uh, Hebrew says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It separates, it divides. And uh, if you're at Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, in my Bible, it's in red, which means Jesus is speaking. Jesus is giving us clarity for our thinking. And one of the main things that we want to look at is that we want to continue on the statement of give me the strength to let God. Give me the strength to let God. Serving God is simple, but it's not easy. Someone write that down. Serving God is simple, but it's not easy. Right? A five-year-old can understand the gospel, and yet a 55-year-old can struggle with it. And so we want to take a look at, really, what does it mean to give me the strength to let God? That almost sounds like permission, doesn't it? Here is this God who has all power, all authority, and we're saying, give me the strength to let you, God, be cleared in my thinking, and give me the strength to let you have your way in my life. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit. And so uh, when we look at this, we have to arrive first at the sacrifice of your strength, the sacrifice of your strength. Before I read Matthew six thirteen, every single one of us, every single day, we sacrifice our strength to something every single day. If God has been gracious to you that you arise from your bed or that your eyes open or that you inhale and exhale, how many know it's a miracle that we wake up every morning? Every hand should be up right there, especially if you're alive. Amen. Especially if you're alive. Thank God for the miracle of the morning. That's why Lamentation says it's faithfulness is every morning. His compassion filleth not. And so when we take a look at this, we realize that as we wake up and as we lie back down to bed, we realize within that period of when we woke up and when we went back to bed, we exercised and we exhaled our strength to something. Our strength was either given to our employer, our strength was either given to our hobby, our strength was either given to our family, our strength was given to all sorts of things. And so we sacrifice our strength. We do. And so that's why we're making the prayer. God, give me the strength to let God. And then we looked at when you get to a place of let go and let God. And how many ever heard that statement? Just let go and let God. And that's just the surface thing, because really you don't want to stay there of let go and let God, because for most times, or most people, it's a question. You want me to let go and let God? I don't think so. And that deals with this thing called anger. Write that down. Anger is a deadly weapon. From studying this particular sermon series, I realized how anger is so deadly that God wastes no time addressing it right in Genesis chapter 4. Let's just get anger out there because anger is the seed of murder. Anger is what leads us to do things. And so there's a righteous anger, but there's an anger of which we get to a place, write this down or get this in your mind, whether you blame God or you believe you are God. Right? It's either you blame God or you believe you are God. And so what happens is when we live in that sort of thinking, our anger is out of control and the seed of anger is murder. It may not be physically murder, but we can murder somebody's dreams, someone's hope, someone's joy. You see what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden unforgiveness takes root in that. And so we can't clearly think. And so what we do now is we sacrifice our strength to us and now we become God. We now arrive at Matthew six thirteen, and the Bible says it because God is now want us to really get this cemented in us. 
And in Matthew 6, 13, the English Standard Version says, And lead us not into, what? Temptation. It doesn't stop there. He says, but deliver us from evil, or some translation says, from the evil one. I heard a great statement. It says, one of the greatest tricks of the enemy is to convince people he doesn't exist. One of the greatest weapons of the enemy is where he convinces us he doesn't exist. And so here it is that Jesus is telling us now in, in Matthew 6, 13, as they asked him, teach us to pray. I love it because he goes and says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For some people, prayer is a challenge. Let me say it again. For everybody, prayer is a challenge. Including every pastor that has the privilege of grace in the pulpit. Prayer is a challenge. And so here they ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. As John taught his disciples. And I love how Jesus goes on and, and right here he says, and lead us not into temptation. So there's something that Jesus wants us to understand is this. Is that we must ask God for strength because we are trapped in this temptation. I put the word this in it because I'm going to show you that there is a temptation. As every temptation is at the same level, there is one temptation that is absolutely diabolical and demonic that we have to address. And why we must say, God, give me the strength to let God. That we can't fight it on our own. It is ruthless. And so here he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I love the New Living Translation. It says, and don't let us yield to temptation. But rescue us from the evil one. Rescue us from the evil one. And so the prayer that we utter is, give me the strength to let God. Because I'm trapped in this temptation. We looked at Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, and, and it's so amazing because in, in this particular verse, we read where God is speaking to Cain, and he says, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, what is happening? Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must what? Rule over it. Some translation says you must master it. So we have a responsibility to think clearly when it comes to temptation. We have a responsibility because if we don't understand this, we will remain trapped. And we will not be able to think clearly. And the danger is we will have a society that we have right now because we don't understand the difference between temptation and sin. And we're going to get into it. Some of your freedom is knowing the difference between when is it a temptation and when is it sin? When does temptation end and when does sin begin? Because if we speak to someone that's going through a temptation as if it's sin, we won't have them to think clearly. And if we tell somebody who is in sin that they're only in temptation, we'll keep them stuck in bondage. And so we must understand this because guess what? We are equipped as the church to help people to know that they have been given the power by Jesus to rule over sin. I mean, think about it. Let, let's, let's really contemplate this. Is it really possible in this day and age to rule over sin? Is it really possible to master sin? And so we all say yes. Why? Because our theology tells us it's possible. But our reality speaks something different. And don't even dare try to practice how do you live a life of not living in sin. And so our theology, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I was flying home on Friday and I was 30,000 feet in the air. And I decided that to avoid the turbulence and, 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 and to experience all that because uh, I am uh, a little bit afraid of heights. And, and, and so I made sure I didn't get the window seat. Um, I would try to get the seat in the aisle and, and, and you know, I'd try to figure out where to sit. And, and, and so I, on the flight back from Phoenix, I was sitting and I decided at 30,000 feet in the air, let me, let me just take this message that God's been giving to me about strength and I'll just write it out. And, and I was given the overview of, of this message. 
And right beside me was a passenger, and she said to me, she said, are you a pastor? I said, what made you think that? I mean, I had my notes open, everything like that. I said, yes, I'm a pastor. And uh, she says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm doing an overview of this message I've been preparing for the church called uh, Strength to Strength, and I'm on this particular place. And I said to her, I'm, I'm right here on trapped in this temptation. And she said, okay. And she says, well, explain that some more to me. What do you mean by that? And I, and I said, okay. And I started to explain to her. And I said, I want you to remember this. And I told this to the church back in April during our Easter or Resurrection Sunday. I said, there's three things you must always have with you when you look at the scriptures. Three things. Write this down, please. This is, this, this is free. This is, if you don't have this, you will struggle in your Christian walk. People will talk you out of the faith. If you don't have this, listen, parents, they'll talk your kids out of the faith if you don't teach them these three things. Number one is theology. You must teach theology, not sound bites. Teach theology. It's the study of God. Because either they're going to believe that there's a God or they're going to believe that they are God. And so sound theology makes you realize you're not God. But it also makes you know there is a God. And so I said to her, I said, I said, you got to look at theology. We're going to get to the theology of, of temptation. And I said to her, but here is the challenge. She says, yeah. I said, but how does that work in my reality? How does that work in what I'm facing? Because maybe what I'm struggling with, you're not struggling with it. And so theology for it to actually make sense and to have power, it's got to speak to my reality. Are you hearing me, right? It's got to speak to where I am right now. The struggle I'm facing right now. The reality of it. The reality. We've got to pray for L.A. Um, there are tremendous ministries in L.A. Doing the work of the kingdom. Bringing transformation to life. And I grew up in the city of Toronto, and I've seen the challenges of city living. I've seen the challenges of just seeing uh, people who, 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 who are either uh, mentally or, or because of drugs or, or, or just because of life. They find themselves living on the streets. And, and so I got to L.A., and I've never seen it at that level before. I've never seen that level before. And so when you talk about the theology of God is good, just walk the streets of L.A. and you see the reality. You will see a reality of where, okay, how do you tell somebody then in a city of 12 million people where you see the politics and where you see the poverty, but you drive 10, 15 minutes away and you see tremendous prosperity. We must deal with the reality of life, body of Christ. They're challenging the church to say we're not relevant. And the reason why we're not relevant is because we have a theology that we believe we're God. But the reality is there are people who are hurting. And so we've got to make sure our theology meets their reality. And that requires us to read the word of God for Pete's sake. We must read the word of God. It says, God, you can speak to every situation. There is nothing that happens in this world that God's word can't speak to. There is nothing right now in your mind that you're facing that the word of God can't speak to. The moment you decide there is something that you're facing that God's word doesn't speak to, you think you're God. That's a dangerous place to be. We, we drove down Skid Row, and, and what moved me the most was this lady was at the stoplight, and it was red. So I thought she was just stopping until it turned green. And her head was turned this way, and, and, and her hands were like this, and she's just like this. And the light turned green, and, and we drove, and, but she stayed and had this look. And my eyes connected with her eyes, and my heart changed and my theology was now challenged because I saw a reality in front of me that made me have to go back to the theology of God and says God give me the strength to let you be God in this situation because I've got no answer I've got no answer for this but what I do know it's somebody's reality that's somebody's daughter that could have been somebody's wife Stuck like this. And so on the plane, I said, theology must meet reality. And I said, the work we must do then is how do we practically bring that out? 
How do we actually as the church be the hands and feet of Jesus and be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? Am I helping anybody right now? You see why we have to think clearly? Because guess what? It's bigger than us. And until you can see that things are bigger than you and I, we will never see God out because there's this notorious temptation that we're going to address because we're trapped in this temptation. And I said those three things. He goes, thank you. And there was another guy beside us, and he goes, oh, my gosh, I couldn't ease, I couldn't overhear. And, excuse me, I apologize for overhearing your conversation. And he goes, I'm a believer, too. And so on the ride home, we had three believers preaching 30,000 feet in the air. Praise God. Ah, come on. I was having church up in, up in the air. Even with turbulence. Praise God. Like, oh, Jesus. Praise God. So that's going to be how we're going to unpack these next few moments I have because I want to drive this home to you because if you connect it to TGP, you're going to be able to say, no, I have sound theology. I understand the scriptures and I seek the word of God for my reality. And because of the reality, I now live practically and I can walk this thing out. So then I can truly say that I can rule over sin. Come on now. I can, I can master this thing. But we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'll get to that because remember, your theology must meet your reality. And so preacher, I've tried, I've tried to, to overcome this and I continue to walk in it. No, you're trapped. It's your trapped. That's what the enemy has. He's trapped us in this temptation. And so we got to know where does temptation end and where does sin begin? And so that's why it's critical, it's vital for us to understand this. Someone say clarity, say clarity Clarity. of thinking. So theology then is not optional for a follower of Christ. You have to read your Bible. We have to read the word of God. Before you engage in any conversation, read the Bible and say, what does the Bible say about this? It's going to take effort, I know. The enemy is going to try to keep you away from the word of God. But you have to read the Bible and let the Bible read you. 30,000 feet in the air. She says, have you read all the Bible? I said, yeah. I said, but that's not the issue. The issue is the Bible hasn't read me yet. So I'm still reading the Bible because it's got to read me. It's got to read me. It's got to be able to read my mind and, and, and what's happening, right? And so when we look at this, we have to understand that theology is not optional for a follower of Christ. And it's also not a toy to be played with or you outgrow. It is intensely practical because it speaks to all of life's reality. All of life's reality. So it's amazing. So people have a certain thinking. You're like, where's that in the Bible? I don't know. So it's your opinion then. Okay, it's your opinion. And I'm not saying your opinion is bad. I'm just simply saying if you're going to stake your strength on something, I'd rather put my faith in something that's eternal. Right? And so we have to understand theology. And so let's look at this because some people will say, well, if God then tempts me, why would I want God? Like, okay, keep tempting me, God. If it's God who's tempting me and God is good, then okay, then I'm going to stay in this temptation. You see how the enemy works? So the enemy now, right, will confuse what God does in our life to develop us. He'll trap us in temptation so he can destroy us. And so theology literally then comes down to, am I going to be developed or am I going to be destroyed? Am I going to understand doctrine or am I going to understand deception? And so here we are now having to understand that. So James wants to make it clear. In James chapter 1, he says, says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Automatically deals with theology. He says, if you're being tempted, don't say I'm tempted by God. Watch this. For God cannot be tempted with what? Evil. And he himself tempts no one. Wow. So in the story of Cain and Abel, in the story then of Adam and Eve, why would God then plant a tree that he knew that Adam and Eve would eat? So what God tempted or was God testing them? 
Come on. Because if we don't understand that, we will stay stuck and the enemy will continue to speak to our minds and he will cloud our thinking about who God is. Because that would be cruel to do that, to put something in front of somebody that you know that they are tempted to do and to put in front of them. What kind of father is that? And so we have to understand the theology and God's like, oh, no, 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 I didn't tempt Adam and Eve. No, no, no. What I did was simply this. As an act of obedience, I was releasing, write this down, the difference between free will and strong will. And so God is saying you have free will. You have the power to choose. Oh, that is so good. Look at the God that we serve. That's great theology. That you have the power to choose. You're not a robot. You're creating the image and the likeness of God with the ability to think clear thoughts. So let no one lower you down to some animal in the animal kingdom. Come on. You are higher than even the angelic. Oh, I wish someone knew who they were, that they would give God praise and glory. When you know that you're made in the image of God, every now and then you just have to say, God, oh my, 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 I love what you created. A healthy theology looks in the mirror. And sees the image of God without thinking they're God. Come on. <laughs> Ooh, that is so good. That is so good. So he says, now listen. Just because you have free will. He now explains why it is that we're tempted. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own what? Desire. So that's what it was. It was the desire in Adam and Eve. That caused me to take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't God. Because God's desire was them to eat from the tree of life. That is so good. Oh my goodness. God is saying, my desire for you is to have the joy. It's to eat from everything that's here. To eat from the tree of life where you live forever. But over here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what got you over here was your desire. It wasn't God. It was your desire to be over here. And it's interesting, if you read it, what's the first thing the enemy says? That you will be like God. Thinking, knowing good and evil. Knowing good and evil. And so he says, listen, that's why it happened. He says, then desire when it's conceived gives birth to what? Sin. There it is then. There it is. James is breaking it down and James says, okay, fine. So it begins with a desire. You make a decision and then you move into this place of deception. And he says, when you get to this place now, it now gives birth to what? To sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. So the theology of temptation goes like this. It starts with a desire, moves into a decision, moves into a deception, and then it moves into death. That's the theology of temptation. And so we as the body of Christ now must get to a place where we tell people, you don't want to enter temptation because the reality will be it will lead to death. And so Jesus says, when you pray, pray this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What a powerful prayer. What a heart of the Father. Grace automatically. He said, I'm going to give you grace how you can walk in victory. And he says, lead us not into temptation. Well, let's define temptation then. The the simple that that, that I read and I liked and, and I quote is this. Temptation is anything that influences you and I to disobey God. A temptation is anything that influences you and I to disobey God. So let me put this out there. To be, ten- to be tempted is not sin. Based on this definition, to be tempted is not sin. It's not. He's saying temptation is anything that influences you to disobey God. So any situation you face in life will either promote your growth or promote your destruction. I said that. So the determining factor is what do you desire and what you decide to do with your heart. At the core of it. At the core of it is that right there. 
It is that right there. It is that you get to a place, I get to a place where we look and we say, it is what we desire, and so we decide to do this. And so what happens is we move from the place of desire, and we move to a place of decide to do something. Now, we automatically now believe that we are God, and we know good from evil. And so now we make judgment upon a behavior because of a belief. That's the theology of temptation. So when someone's going through a temptation, the thing you want to address them is this. Talk to me about your belief system. Your thinking is not clear. Why are you thinking that way? What desire is it? I, 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 was, I was thinking about this. You know, someone who, who's, who's addicted to drugs is just the same as someone who's addicted to praise. Someone who needs to live out praise of people. It's the very same thing that someone who's addicted to, to drugs. And so we look at someone addicted to drugs like, oh my gosh, yeah, but you're addicted to praise. You need the praise of people. That's the same addiction as someone who's addicted to drugs. According to theology, it's the same thing. But we treat them differently, don't we? Because we're God and we know what's good and what's evil. And so we are now trapped. And to be trapped means this. It's to prevent someone from escaping from a place they entered into. To be trapped means that you're held tightly by something so that you cannot move or be free. Call your past, your present anxiety, your future fears. That's what it means to be trapped. And so temptation is such a major issue that C.S. Lewis, that great author who wrote the book, The Chronicles of Narnia, in his book called The Screwtape Letters, he actually gives some room for this. And so in this particular book, The Screwtape Letters, if you've never read them, they're really good. They talk about temptation and how deadly it is. And so in this book by C.S. Lewis, he makes us aware of two demons. One's a mentor and one's a mentee. And the goal of these two demons is trying to corrupt a human or what they call patient from the ways of God. And I would include the words of God and the works of the church. So in the spiritual realm, what's happening is that you have a demon called screw tape and you have someone called Wormwood. And they're discussing how can we now tempt this person? How can we now tempt that person? It's not saying it. How can we tempt them? What can we do? And so C.S. Lewis writes this down and he says, and I love what he talks about. He, he, he says, he says, he wants us to understand that humans are enslaved to the pressure of the ordinary. <laughs> he says this one. He says, the letter focuses on the very ordinary temptations that challenge everyday people. What he says is this, it is not, watch this, the spectacular wickedness that they're concerned with. Because when the enemy shows his hands, you know it's him. So the temptation is not to show the devil's hands because you realize, oh no, that's evil. What he does is this, he's because he wants to get us in the ordinary temptations that challenge everyday people. They are small steps that lead us off the path and lead us to small sins. That we don't notice. And so the culture comes to the church. And we now become affirming. Well that sounds good. Of course it is. We're affirming. That sounds amazing. Small step. And now because we're affirming. You can't talk about sin. Because that will offend. And so now we don't want to offend anybody. Because we want to make sure people are tithing. And so all of a sudden now, the path that leads to righteousness, we veer off. And we're going to where sin is at the door. And the demon said, just deal with the ordinary. Don't come in with the spectacular. Don't do that. And so there are demonic manifestations, of course. There is. But for the most part, it's not that that people are concerned with. It's the small steps. The smaller things that the Lord puts on them. And so the goal is then is this. The goal of the ordinary is to move you from the presence of God. It's the presence of God. 
In Genesis chapter 3, what happened when, when they sinned? What happened? What, what did they do? When they sinned, what happened was this, was that they now, right, went away from God. They hid from the presence of God. And so we have to now come as the church because people are saying, I'm trapped in this temptation. They're crying out for help. The world is saying, come on, is there anyone that can help? Is there any hope? Does anybody have a theology that can meet my reality? I don't care what it is. It could be religion. It could be whatever. I'm so hungry that I need someone to please speak to my reality. The world is crying. They know things are corrupt. And they come to the church. And here it is that God is saying, yes, understand that people are dealing with the ordinary, everyday challenge of just living. Meeting your expenses, meeting your your, your obligations. Those are the temptations the enemy will get you at. Not the big spectacular things. Those are too obvious. It's too obvious. And so he ends every single letter by saying, your affectionate uncle. Screw tape. Because he wants him to understand this, this demon. He wants this demon to understand. Um, he says, he said, Wormwood, I'm a master theologian. I know the word of God. And if they don't know good theology, I will corrupt theology. Can I teach us like I feel this? Come on. The enemy, a master theologian, says, Jesus, it is written. Come on. That if you throw yourself over, oh, he quotes Psalms 91. Come on, somebody. That was being quoted during the entire coronavirus. He quotes the scriptures to Jesus. To Jesus. He quotes the scriptures to Jesus because he wants to say, let me see your theology. And he's so polite about when he makes us sin. Isn't, isn't the enemy, he's such a gentleman. <laughs> makes us sin and says, you're affectionate uncle. He says, you're welcome. I, I got to move on. And, and, so, and so let me speak to the reality of someone that's saying, what do I do, Pastor Ro? What do I do? My, my thinking has been messed up and, and I don't know what to do. And, and my reality is this. The first thing is don't enter temptation. Don't enter it. Jesus says in Matthew 26, verses 40 to 41, and he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for an hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? It's weak. You see, no temptation is innocent or trivial. All temptation, schemes and plot has one end. You're never ending misery. My last point I'll make about this before I move on is this. Remember this, and I quote, temptation will please you. Temptation will please you. It'll please me, but it'll also abuse you. So it pleases you, one hand, to abuse you, the hand behind, back like that. Temptation will seduce you, to undo you. And temptation will distract you to destroy you. I cannot be any more clear than that. That's the theology of temptation. And so here we are now realizing, oh, that's going to please me. But behind that door, he wants to abuse you. And this temptation will seduce you. It wants to undo you, every progress you made. And it wants to distract you to destroy you. You see, temptation is rarely a single error to be avoided. But far more often, it's a wide and prolonged wave of warfare meant to wear us down until we surrender. Not unto God, but to our human strength, where we have to say, I am God, and I can take care of this. And so now we move into, in this temptation, and when I looked at this all week as I've been studying this, and I went and had different uh, things I wrote out, and God says no, and I wrote this out, and he says no. I said, what is it? He says, the monster temptation that is facing America, that is facing the church, that's facing humanity, it's not just the lust of the flesh. 
It's not just the lust of the eyes. The biggest culprit is called the pride of life. It's the pride of life. I know this is heavy, but you all need freedom, and I need freedom from this. It is the pride of life. What the enemy's throwing at us is the pride of life. He is literally saying, you are God, and you know right from wrong. That you spend your strength that satisfies you because you deserve it. You've worked hard. You deserve this break. You don't have to do that. God knows it's going to be okay. That won't offend God. Fulfill your desires first because God understands. And we have been eating that bait to now we debate what has already been written in the word of God. As this is what God says. In this temptation, the pride of life. You see, this is so cool. You see, now that we're trapped in temptation, it is difficult to know where temptation ends and where sin begins. Have any conversation with anybody? Are you sinning or is it a struggle? I don't know. I have no idea. I have no clue. Because we're trapped in temptation, it's extremely difficult, watch this now, to know what to celebrate in the culture and what is designed by the culture to capture us. So we celebrate things in the culture that the enemy says, oh, they missed it. And what happens, we don't realize that it was designed by the culture to capture us. Because we're trapped in temptation. And so now we look at this place. And now that you are trapped and I'm trapped. Ready for this? It is extremely frustrating or foolish to follow God's will. You're following God's will? Come on. You sure? God's will? Nah. You don't have to do that. I told someone this. I said, listen, there's no one in the scripture you can show me. And I'm open to it. That said yes to God's will. That didn't have to make a sacrifice of their strength. There's nobody. When you come to know Jesus, you have to sacrifice your strength. It's going to cost you everything. Christianity is not for wimps. It's for warriors. It's for worshipers. It's for people based on the word. Don't let anybody talk about Christianity like it's some wimpy thing. It's not. Christianity is for warriors. People who understand kingdom mindset and that love so deeply that when they see sin, they are saying, we've got to get it out. That we'll start back at the temptation so that when we get to the sin, we won't be judgmental, but we will judge it. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. If you're going to speak it to my life and you see that I'm tempted by something, my God, understand that I'm trapped in this temptation. So you bring a theology that prevents me from getting to the place of sin. Because when I get to sin, I love it. And now you're going to judge me and I'm going to think you're judgmental. But if you start over here and says, God, please don't let them enter into temptation. I can at least have a chance to rule over this thing. And so we come late to the party. And so when we come late to the party, they already, they already have entered temptation and now it's sin. And so people come in now because sin deceived them and sin seduced them and sin destroyed them. They come in now and now you try and talk about sin. They're like, well, where were you when I was going through the temptation? Where were you when I was thinking I knew what was right from wrong? Well, here's what it was. It was the pride of life. You see, if we look at Cain in its depth, Cain, Cain's issue was the pride and stubbornness that he had. God made a way out for him. Cain, if you do what's right, you will be accepted. Cain, please choose the right way. I'm giving you the power to overcome this anger. Cain, please. I know your reality, but I'm giving you great theology. Cain, don't get to the place where it's sin. Don't get to that monster. It's crouching at the door, but don't open the door, Cain. And we as a church have to start crying out to all the Cain's out there. And we got to say, no, don't open the door, God Almighty. It's going to mess you up if you do that. Parents, tell your kids, don't go there. 
I got to stop you at the temptation. Because when you embrace sin, if it grows, it's going to kill you. Not physically at first, but emotionally. Many of our children, many of the people that walked out of our life was because of pride of life. They knew better. And they walk out. Or we kick them out. One of the two. You see, Cain was anything but repentant. Ready for this? He wanted to make the rules. And he didn't want to change his ways. Um, what is the pride of life? Let me quote. This is so good. And I'm hurrying. I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying. Pride is a state of mind. Or more essentially, a condition of the heart in which a person has supplanted the rule of God over his life with the rule of his own will. Let me say it again. Pride is a state of mind, or more essentially, a condition of the heart in which a person has supplanted the rule of God over his life with the rule of his own will. Instead of depending entirely on God, as was God's design, a proud heart now looks, and I continue to quote, to itself to decide what is good and what is evil. I don't need you, God. I've got it covered. It's the person who, who wants to get a close parking spot. And he says, God, if you give me a close parking spot and a car pulls out, it says, okay, don't worry about it, God. I got it. Right? You know, you're asking God, hey, God, do this for me. But it looks like you can do it yourself. Hey, God, I don't need you now. I got this. That's the pride of life. That's exactly what was the downfall of Adam and Eve. The downfall of Cain and will be the downfall of us. Here's what the Lord gave me. He says, Ro. When you are trapped in this temptation called the pride of life, instead of attempting to rule over sin, crouching at the door, you simply change the rules about what is sin and let it in the door. It's frustrating and it's foolish to follow God's will. And so because I can't do it, I'm just going to change the rule of what sin is so I can get free. I can get rid of God, and I can be God. And so we changed the rule. Come on, church. If you've been around for 10 years, we know what used to be sin is now accepted as. Come on. Come on. Let me step on anybody's toe. This is the reality of it. The reality of it. And here's what happened. It, 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 here's, here's, what, here's the simplicity of it. Okay, I'm not the most educated person, obviously, right? But, but this is what it came. So it first became when, you know, you used to, it's a rock a suit, you know what I mean? And, and we said, wear a suit to church. And you went to church, you dressed up for church. And everybody went to church dressed up. And all of a sudden, ah, I can't relate anymore to someone in a suit. And so we lost the tie and we lost the jacket and we lost that. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, please, unless you have to be suited up and everything like that. But, but we, just, we just lost it a little bit. And then all of a sudden, we're like, well, people's got to relate to us. They can't relate. And then we start to cut it back from two hours to an hour. People's got stuff to do. You know what I mean? And just, people got things to do. And just, let's cut it back for an hour. Please don't take that long to get in God's presence for Pete's sake. The reason why we did that was we sacrificed our strength for ourselves that we gave God the leftovers. We did Cain. Because it wasn't that Cain didn't bring an offering. He didn't bring the best offer. And so we're all drained because we already fulfilled worshiping God. That we have no strength left to worship the God. Now we love him. We love him. We just don't have the strength to let him be God. And so what's happened is we're this. And I know this is a... It's a mess when I was right. I said, God, how do you teach on sin nowadays? My God. <laughs> like, how do you do that? Well, we don't teach on it because <laughs> we don't know how to do it. <laughs> so we don't teach on it. That's logic, right? I don't know. So don't teach on it. Because you think when we talk about sin, it's condemning. No, sin is freeing. We talk about sin, it's to free you. Not to condemn you. My God. I saw the woman at the light bent over like this. I can never unsee what I just saw, people. That was somebody's daughter. Somebody's wife was sitting there because of what the enemy has done to her. And I could not look at that and say, God, I need a theology that can speak to her reality. 
I couldn't, I can't unsee that. So I have no time for little issues. There is a bigger issue at stake. People are trapped in temptation and it's leading them to sin, which leads to death. God Almighty. It's the pride of life. It's we want to be right. We want to have it our way. And every little thing offends us. And so the enemy is laughing. Look. They didn't just enter temptation. They're entertaining temptation now. And if we let people stay where they entered, they will entertain it. My God. Samson did it. And the reality is this. When you... Look into your desire. It'll kill you. Now, I'm about to tread on some hard ground right here. Help me, Jesus. Come on up, praise team, because you got to help me because I need some distraction. Watch this now. Help me, Jesus. So we have confused Pride Month with the pride of life. Watch this now. No emails, please. Let me see what I'm saying. This has none to do with the LGBTQ plus, 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 whatever. It has nothing to do with that. I'm sure it has nothing to do with that. Um, I don't debate anything that will distract me from the bigger issues. I don't. I really don't. I've been in this thing for 30 years. I don't, I'm not going to debate things that the Bible already speaks to. I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you, but I'm just, it's not freeing for you. To get into debate is going to keep you in bondage. It doesn't help you. I can't say I love you and debate about something when the Bible sets you free. That's just ridiculous. That's the culture shaping the narrative. Come on, church. Don't listen to the narrative. Not everybody's against the church who struggles with that. Not everybody is. But the media will make you think that's the case, right? Some want to be free. Some want to be free. And because the enemy has been successful in making us focus on one month, as opposed to focusing on our life, we miss it. We miss it. So three things that you have to have to be practical. Now, man, with us, three things you must have to be practical is this. God is much bigger than any issue in the world. He is. Pride Month was declared by a president. That's it. He's not God. Anybody can declare a month to be something. We got breast cancer month. We got this month. We got that month. Anybody can do that. It's simply a way of the people in the community want to be recognized and just give the fruit of their pride of life. That's it. That's all it is. It's Bible. Let's not get so, so, so bent out of shape. God is bigger than any issue in the world. That's why people run to the church. Because this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. And the world can't take it away. I was in Marion and it was raining. I saw a beautiful rainbow. And I took a picture of it. I was scared to post it. Because <laughs> of both sides. <laughs> one's celebrating. One's like, oh, go pastor. I'm like, man, a beautiful thing of God. Read the Bible. Let's see where the rainbow is. Come on. Come on. Don't let me make us debate and feel like we hate. As opposed to God being our delight and we love. That's God's creation. Ain't nobody taking that away. God is much bigger than any issue in this world. Oh, God. Mm. I met someone that knows somebody who serves on the... Um, and the Ohio government and stuff. And I had the privilege of talking to them. And they were telling me stuff behind the scenes we didn't even know. God is working behind the scenes of stuff we don't even know. People who are God-fearing. It's just a narrative will never tell you that. Because the pride of life won't allow it to happen. People who are in Congress. Come on. Crying out to God. God, give us strength to let you be God in this nation. Make a commitment, make a commitment not to entertain temptation by making any issue bigger than God. 
There is no issue bigger than God. Homelessness, not bigger than God. Drug addiction, not bigger than God. Sex, not bigger than God. Abortion, not bigger than God. There is no race, not bigger than God. There is nothing that is bigger than God. And we will never bring God down to our level. God is worthy to be praised. Pride month, no. It's the pride of life. Second is this. The month will end and another month will start. I promise you that. We will get into July. (laughs) Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning time. So this too will pass, God Almighty. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So the darker it gets, the more the light should shine. This month will be over. Ooh. And number three, I am not intimidated by any sin. Because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. With those three things, ah, as the bedrock of my thinking, I have clarity of thought now. And now I can pray sincerely. Give me the strength to let God be God. So preacher, what is the remedy for the pride of life, which is bigger than pride month? Thank you for asking. Let me give it to you. The remedy. What is going to help us? Watch this now. Because sin is at the door. It tells them that we're inside. Come on. (laughs) We're in the house of the Lord. We're we're in the house of the Lord. And so we're inside. And so outside is the sin that's trying to get. In other words, it's my heart. That God is in my heart through Jesus. And so watch this now. So the answer is this. My last scripture is this. Ready for this now? So give it everything that's there, preacher. So what's your theology for the reality of what you saw in LA? What is your theology for the reality of pride month? What is your theology for the reality of broken homes, of broken situations, of people on drugs? What is your theology and what is the reality and what is practical? And the answer is, someone said, what's the answer? The answer is Jesus Christ is our sure victory over temptation and sin. Why? Because he was tempted yet without sin. And if G, oh God, if Jesus conquered temptation and sin and Christ lives inside of me, my God, I've got the power and the ability come on somebody to tell temptation and sin you have no place in my life he was 415 for we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect had been tempted as yet without sin so don't look to me I'm not God look to Jesus look to Christ in me the hope of glory we've got to preach Christ unapologetically we've got to preach Christ to set people free from every temptation my God almighty open up your mouth and start to preach Jesus Christ the one who was tempted yet without sin Peter says he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth so how do you escape temptation how do you escape temptation the first thing is this rise and pray start to pray Come on, there are people who are entering temptation. Tell them, don't come here. There are people entertaining temptation. Tell them to get out. You have to escape temptation. Rise and pray. Number two, run away. You got to run away from sin. You got to like literally run away. Joseph had to physically run away. You can't say, stay, 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 and you stay. No, you got to say, see you later alligator come on you got to do a Usain Bolt come on somebody you got to do a Usain Bolt and run and says I'm not even going to look back I'm going to run away because if I stay come on Satan will have his way in my life the last two things is this and I'm going to invite you just to, to stand with me here's the last two things and this is where the enemy now 
gets us the most. When you face temptation, call a friend. Call somebody. Don't let pride rob you of you can handle it on your own. Call a friend. Stop using social media to be your reality. It's not. It's not. It's not. Call a friend. I know you got friends on Facebook, but they're not your friend. Call a friend. Pick up the phone and says, I'm struggling with this temptation. Can you help me? My kids are losing their mind. I want to beat them all the way to hell. Can you please help me? I'm serious about that one. <laughs> you don't think I'm joking, man. Spam. I remember when Danny, the one time she went crazy. And I mean, I was, I was spanking her. I mean, my hand was up like this. And I was running into it. Bam! And she wasn't going to fade. I'm like, good God Almighty, what's wrong with this child? I have to call a friend, man. Call a friend. There are people, picture with me, there are people right now that at the door, sin's trying to come, and it's overpowering them, and they're trying to hold against the door, and they're like this. And instead of saying, hey, can you help me? They're like, I got this. And God's like, you don't have it. I got this. You're not God. I got this. You need help. Call a friend, and you run up, and you hold the door with them, and you run. He says, I've been there. I've been on the other side of it, and I escaped it. So I'm not going to come and help you to hold back sin and temptation. Call a friend, good God Almighty. Call a friend, and we got a friend sticks close to the brother's name is Jesus call a friend pick up the phone and call somebody and finally stay in the light of fellowship you think church is just to come and to have two hours of just doing stuff the enemy has robbed us of what church is I'm closing this it was so funny but, but before COVID nobody used to say oh the church is not the four walls as soon as COVID came to justify or abandon or scatter it, you do know the church is other four walls. I'm like, really? You weren't saying that three months ago. <laughs> you really weren't. And so what happens is this, is the reason why the church is essential is because the only way to deal with the pride of life is I have to bring it into the light of fellowship. So what brings me to church it's not because I don't think, because I think the four walls of the church. Don't please understand what I'm saying. I come because I need somebody who flows in the prophetic. Come on, who's been spending time with God to be able to come and says, help me escape. Because I'm being entertained by this temptation. There's a pretty chick walking by. Come on, there's this lust that I have. And I need you to be prophetic. I need you to look into the light of God's word and bring a theology that can speak to my reality. So when you stay home, you dim the light. Woo! You dim the light that we need. And so we need each other. So the enemy says, I'll make them neglect meeting together. Why? Because it dims the light. And so they're going to stay trapped in darkness, trapped in temptation. Why? Because you are a prophetic voice. But guess what? The enemy has told you. It's okay to just relax. It's not important. You see, we have to drag temptation into a lot of his fellowship and enlist others for help. We must fight the good fight together. The pride of life, it's got to go. The pride of life has got to go. We are not God, but we do know God. And we know Jesus. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Where are you? Have you entered temptation because you were deceived? The enemy lied to you? There is hope for you. There is hope. Your reality right now is, Pastor Roe, I entered a do not enter zone. You're here and you're entertaining temptation. 
You're entertaining whatever that temptation is. You're, you're entertaining it. And, and, and part of it could even be, I'm entertaining suicide. I'm entertaining drug abuse. I'm entertaining all sorts of things. And so you're right there. And it's like, listen, if, if I don't get some help right now, I'm going to give myself completely over to death. If I don't get some help right now, my next step is death. And I need some help. And third... You want to escape temptation. First thing you have to do is, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I don't want to make any assumption right now that everyone in this place, you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you don't know Jesus, the one who died for your sin, the one who conquered temptation, I need you right now with every head bowed, every eyes closed to lift your hands up right now. Do not let the pride of life, do not let the enemy lie to you and say that you are saved when you're not. If you fully know and you are sure that Jesus is the Lord of your life, I want you to be able to lift your hands up and say, Pastor Rowe, the pride of life keeps me away from accepting Jesus. Is there anyone? Is there anyone that's here watching online? Do you know Jesus, your Lord and Savior? If you do, awesome. If you don't, this is your moment. This is where you start to escape temptation and sin is by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior.